0: Our second reading comes to us from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 26 through 31. Listen again to God's word. Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong god chose what is low and despised in this world things that are not to reduce to nothing to reduce to nothing things that are so that no one might boast in the presence of god he is the source of your life in christ jesus who became for us wisdom from god and righteousness and sanctification and redemption In order that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. May God bless this reading of the word and to our Lord be all glory and honor forever. Amen. I hate to be the bearer of bad news. We're coming up on another election cycle. (laughs) Let's hope we can get through it. But one of the things that I wanted to cap with you today is, is not about elections. Who cares? Vote for who you think is the best person and get on with life. But here's the thing. What happens during those cycles is, I'm sorry, it's really irritating. And it exemplifies all the things that Jesus said we're not supposed to be. And so as it starts to roll up and snowball and get bigger and bigger and bigger, I think we need to remember a few things that we've talked about before. But they bear repeating because so few people do them. People go, well, that's just common sense. Well, no, it's not. It's sense. It's not common. (laughs) So we're starting this morning with the Beatitudes. And I'm going to do a little rant, as I do once in a while, but I think you'll get the point because you're smart people. We use the Beatitudes a lot of times as words of comfort. And they are. They remind us how much God really, really loves us. But there are also commands and warnings. And if we go only to the Beatitudes for comfort, then we're wasting half the message. In verse 6, it says, People who hunger and thirst for justice will be filled. When we're the victims of evil, we're going to be consoled. These words help console us. When we are the unrighteous, we're not blessed. And our victims will be filled. Whoa. It's hard looking at it from that side of things. That we might actually be the people causing discomfort and unhappiness. But when we are, the opposite is true. We're not blessed. And we can't claim to be. But our enemies, our victims, whoever's on the other side of our behavior can claim that. And God knows it. God will give them justice and righteousness. So we have to be and do what is righteousness because unrighteousness has consequences. Does it not? That's what we're taught. But from a strictly human perspective, the Beatitudes sound nice, but that's no way to live. Think about this try to imagine the world we live in. Imagine people, oh, say, running for office. I don't care who it is. What would they say if you said to them, blessed are the poor in spirit? I bet they would say something like, poor in spirit are going to... No, you have to be strong. Don't you? you got to be strong. If you're not strong, other people are going to run over you. The mourning, if you show people that you're in mourning, you're an easy target. Keep that to yourself. Hide it. You don't want to be taken advantage of. The meek shall inherit the earth. Are you kidding me? The meek inherit nothing. You want righteousness and justice? Yeah, waiting for God to fill you is all well and good, I guess. But if you want those things, you have to fight for them. So there. Are you merciful? You want us to be merciful? Well, then we're going to be doormats for everybody who comes along who is not merciful. Merciful. If you're pure in heart, how gullible can you possibly be? We'll talk about peacemakers in a minute. But the attitudes from our point of view, well, no, shouldn't be from our point of view, but from the worldly point of view, from the kind of this whole vision we've created for ourselves, the Beatitudes are a prescription for becoming a victim Anybody here want to be a victim? Jesus didn't either. But Paul has part of the answer for us. We're not wise or powerful, we're not from any special family. But God chose us because we're not wise or powerful. God chose the foolish, the weak, the low-born, because our society defines as wise, powerful, and well-connected. The way we define that doesn't mean anything to Christ. It doesn't mean anything to God. Alan King said one time he had to, he was being sued by Eastern Airlines. Because he did a bit on what a terrible airline they were. And he said, I walked in, I'm a celebrity, I walked into that courtroom and I felt this big. And he said, that's the way we should all feel, walking into a courtroom. That is a leveling field right there. Well, imagine standing in front of God with all our wisdom, all our power, all our whatever you want to pick, and walking before God and saying, aren't we great? You think you could do it? I couldn't. I'd probably be too busy wetting my pants. But what our society defines as strong and powerful, God defines as weakness. And God chooses to build the kingdom on earth through the weak. Through those who understand their need for God's grace and God's love and who understand their needs for each other. I have an example that could apply to any enemy we can think of. It doesn't matter. But I'm going to use Iran as an example. And no, this isn't political. This is moral. They've been our enemy for almost, what, 40, 45, 50 years? I know I was in high school when the whole thing blew up in everybody's face. And they've been a serious enemy. That's why I chose them. And there's no doubt how they feel about us. Anybody wondering? No, they're pretty clear about that. But we have a treaty with them about nuclear proliferation and all that kind of stuff. It, is it a perfect treaty? The treaty to end all treaties? No! It never will be. There will never be the perfect treaty. But... It is a first treaty. It's the first step toward people getting along and deciding, let's not blow up the neighbors. As soon as the treaty was done, so many people accused our leaders who were involved in that of being soft on the Iranians. Same thing happened in Iran. The hardliners accused the Iranian people, uh, folks who were negotiating of being soft on America. Don't think about that the other way very much, do we? The Iranians were soft on America. In the minds of so many people, that treaty made us look weak. You're going to go make peace? You're going to go try to smooth things out to figure out our differences? How weak can you get? But that's in our world as we've created it, not as God wants it. This world is populated with human beings and that's the way we've come to think. Conceiving anything is weakness. If I compromise with you, I am weak. So I have to stand my ground, not give an inch, and insist that you come around to my way. By golly. Strength means kill them all, let God sort them out. But that's not how God defines it. Jesus says in verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, they will be called the children of God. And this is Jesus, who we believe is fully human and fully God. True? Do this. That's one of our confessions. This is Jesus speaking. This is God, God's self speaking directly to humanity. So when we think about any treaty, who are the children of God? The people at the table working out a peaceful solution. Who are the children of God in that case? I think that's a question Jesus would want us to be able to answer in our own minds. Those on both sides who reach this first agreement. And if we make this one work. More treaties will follow. More agreements can be born out of that one agreement. Life can get better for both sides. It's the fools who are willing to trust each other. Who are making a difference. You can't trust them. Well, you've got to start somewhere, dadgummit. Jesus said, make peace Because according to God, the ones who sat down and did that are the children of God. We always ask, you know, is God on our side? Is God on our side? Is God on our side? What we really should be asking is, are we on God's side? Because that's the side that matters. So who's on God's side? According to God, the poor in spirit. Those who are mourning, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, and the peacemakers. It's a good lesson, and it can be kind of a bitter lesson. I know you come here for comfort and happiness, and sometimes you leave here terribly disturbed. That's how I know when I'm doing the other side of my job. When we choose to trust in our own worldly wisdom about what is right, what is good, what is truly helpful and powerful, and we trust our own great power and our pride of place in this world, that makes us enemies of God. Think about that makes us enemies of our own Lord. But when we embrace God's law and we're willing to look foolish, weak, and humble in the eyes of this world, we are truly God's beloved. So as 2024 gets here and rolls along, be God's beloved. The only way you can win an argument is to make another person a loser. Amen. Come, let's stand and say who we are and to whom we belong. Good works done in obedience to God's commandments are the fruits and evidence of a true and lively faith. By them, believers manifest their thankfulness, strengthen their assurance, edify their brethren, adorn the profession of the gospel, stop the mouths of adversaries, and glorify God, whose workmanship they are, created in Christ Jesus, that having their fruit of holiness, they may have, in the end, eternal life.